0: Here Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again
1: made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight. Among other things, mocking Barack Obama. I have a question, though. Here I am, minding my own business, minutes before the broadcast. I'm listening to network news in my headphones, and they're quoting John Dean. And John Dean is on cable TV. So now John Dean is an authoritative force on ethics, a voice for the law. When he pleaded guilty to a felony in the Watergate matter in exchange for becoming a key witness for the prosecution. And he lost his law license. And they don't tell you that. And he served time in federal prison outside of Baltimore, Maryland. So they're going to quote and tell us about John Dean? I mean, come on. But that just shows you where the media are. Barack Milhouse Benito Obama is very very angry because President Donald Trump has reversed about 75% of the 8 years of Obama and he is busy putting constitutionalists on the courts where Obama packed the courts with radical activists Donald Trump is undone the Iran nuclear proliferation deal. One of the great Obama accomplishments, according to Obama. Donald Trump has reversed Barack Obama's anti-Semitism when it comes to the state of Israel. President of the United States, Trump, has recognized Jerusalem as the capital and has moved our embassy to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. President of the United States, Trump, has reversed policy when it comes to North Korea. He inherited a North Korea with nukes. He has reversed policy with respect to Russia, putting in, in many ways, devastating sanctions where Obama closed his eyes to Russian interference in our election. I think he was jealous of the Russians because he was interfering with our election. The President of the United States has been tough on China. Barack Obama sold out to China. The President of the United States is trying to secure our southern border. The President before him, Barack Obama, supported open borders. Barack Obama, his FBI, abused the FISA court. It's been exposed during the Trump administration. There's no evidence that Donald Trump used the IRS against his opponents. But the Obama administration did. Barack Obama destroyed our health care system. And today he's calling for Medicare for all, like a good socialist. Donald Trump is still trying to eliminate Obamacare. And we could go on, couldn't we? We could go on. Barack Obama created awful racial tensions in this country. Barack Obama turned citizenry against law enforcement. Barack Obama all but eviscerated the United States military. Barack Obama was the worst enemy of a free press in modern history. And we'll get into that in a moment. Yet the media love Barack Obama. Why? Because they share his progressive, statist ideology. His radicalism. They would never even contemplate putting Barack Obama through what they put this president, Trump, through and his family and friends and so forth. So let's listen to some of Barack Milhouse Benito's propaganda. And I will have the joy... ...of replying to some of it... ...let's start with we'll cut one Mr. Producer... ...at the University of Illinois today... ...and by the way... ...given Barack House Obama... ...given his record... ...in uh, losing... Re- ...losing races in the House of Representatives... ...where he supported candidates... ...losing races in the U.S. Senate... ...where he supported candidates... ...losing governorships... ...losing state Senate slots losing state assembly slots i would say that obama today calling for the democrats to turn out and protect our democracy is a good sign for the republicans cut one go
2: and as a fellow citizen not as an ex president but as a fellow citizen i'm here to deliver a simple message and that is that you First, need to anyone
1: mo- believe this garbage i'm not here as a former president. i'm here as a simple citizen well a simple citizen wouldn't be treated to the kind of slobbering media attention that Barack Melhouse Benito Obama has received, would he? More like a simple ton. That's right, I said it. Go ahead.
2: As our democracy depends on. Now some of you may think I'm exaggerating when I say this November's elections are more important than any I can remember in my lifetime. And I know politicians say that all the time. I have been guilty of saying it a few times, particularly when I was on the ballot.
1: That's his lame attempt at uh, self-deprecation. Go ahead.
2: But just a glance at recent headlines should tell you that this moment really is different. The stakes really are higher. The consequences of any of us sitting on the sidelines are more dire and by the way I a- want
1: you to listen to what he's saying and then process it from our perspective and then you'll agree with it but not the way he agrees with it go ahead
2: We had big elections before or big choices to make in our history the fact is democracy has never been easy and our founding fathers argued about everything we waged a civil war we overcame depression. We've lurched from eras of great progressive change to periods of retrenchment. Now,
1: that sentence reveals everything. We've lurched from eras of great progressive change to periods of retrenchment. Great progressive change. I wish there was a way, but there isn't, and I won't, so never fear for me to convey to you what I wrote in Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism. We talk about it all the time, but when you write a book, it's far more detailed and it is presented in a significantly different way than when you orally explain these things. All I'm saying is, he is saying we need constant, in fact, relentless progressive change Otherwise, we have periods of retrenchment. The target of progressivism is American history. The target of progressivism is the American Constitution. The target of progressivism are the principles in our Declaration of Independence. The target of progressivism is individualism, is your personal liberty. When it comes to abortion, they talk about a choice, freedom, privacy. When it comes to your liberty, they never talk about any of that. Your actual, everyday liberty. So you see, unless you elect radicals like Obama, radicals like Schumer, the whole long laundry list of you-know-whos, then you're in a period of retrenchment. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, it is the structure of the Constitution which has as its purpose to limit government. So you are always in a period of progress. So you are always in a period of evolution. So you are always in a period of growth. So you can always embrace opportunity. So you, as an individual human being, can advance and grow in a free society. Their purpose of the great progressive change is to control you is to smother you is to order you that's the purpose how do we know because they've said so in so many words periods of retrenchment I know of almost no politician who effectively confronts this kind of language that's what this man is talking about This is what your media believe in. During our founding, the American press supported the principles that you and I embrace, that you and I share. During this period of modernity, the press shares Barack Obama's ideology, which is the opposite of ours. Cut two, go.
2: Our ideals that say we have a collective responsibility to care for the sick and the infirm.
1: Collective. Always collective. We have a collective responsibility. Individuals never have individual responsibility. Individuals are not about making individual choices. It is about collective responsibility. Go ahead. And by by the way, every single tyranny on the face of the earth believes in collective responsibility. Now, I'm not comparing Obama to, to genocidal mass murders, but Hitler would often talk about collective responsibility. Again, I want to make it abundantly clear I'm not comparing Obama to him. What I'm saying is it is a very, very damnable mentality. Go ahead.
2: Amazing bounty. The natural resources of this country and of this planet for future generations. Each time we've gotten closer to those ideals, somebody somewhere is pushed back.
1: Right, because we do not believe in abandoning American sovereignty for international governing institutions. And that's what's meant by globalism, not economically, politically. That's why Obama skirted the Treaty Clause. That's why Obama supported these so-called climate change international arrangements. To impose the will of international leftists on the American people. To go outside the constitutional structure. In order to impose on the American people something that they do not will. Go ahead.
2: The status quo pushes back sometimes the backlash comes from people who are genuinely... Now listen to that. The status
1: quo pushes back. Some of you read Ameritopia. And I pointed out the status quo, meaning our constitutional system, is always to be attacked, is always to be degraded, is always to be defamed. Just around the corner is utopia, just around the corner. If you would just surrender more of your wealth, if you would just surrender more of your time, if you would just surrender your personal selfishness, if you would just surrender yourself to this collective responsibility, well, by God, what a magnificent paradise we could create here right on Earth. You know, like Cuba, North Korea. Go ahead.
2: More often, it's manufactured. By the powerful and the privileged.
1: Who are the powerful and the privileged? It seems to me there's been a revolution in this respect, a big big change, a big earthquake. The powerful and the privileged, for the most part, are no longer in the private sector. The powerful and the privileged are in the government sector. The government has more power than any combination of entities in the private sector, period. Because government power comes at the point of laws. Private sector, it's voluntary arrangements. Some good, some bad, some indifferent. It depends who you are and what you think. But the powerful and the privileged are the people in Washington, D.C. The politicians, their staffs, the bureaucrats, the media. They are the powerful. They are the privileged. They drive the future of the country. Lots more. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. After the bottom of the hour, we will continue with Barack Melhouse Benito Obama's Castro-like speech. Because I'm having too much fun with this. Way too much fun. But I have... Really, some good news to tell you. There's good news. There's good things going on out there. Number one, Fox is expanding Life, Liberty, and Levin. Every Saturday, well, at least for now, at 7 p.m. Eastern, they will run the Life, Liberty, and Levin that was aired the Sunday before. And then on Sunday at 10 p.m. Eastern, we will do our new program. However, this Saturday, we will have the program we did with. uh, Oh, let's see. Katie Pavlich. And uh, we're also on uh, Sunday, we, and Candace Owens. And on Sunday, with a brand new show with John Voigt. I just taped it literally two hours ago. Spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. So if you're watching Sunday Night Football, the Bears in Green Bay. Uh, and there's a blowout taking place, just switch over to us or just tape us because I think you're really going to want to watch this. He was absolutely spectacular. And I want to congratulate Robert Mueller and his 17 left-wing Democrat assistant special counsel prosecutors and the uh, $20 million that they've spent. They really they really got a big one today. George Papadopoulos got 14 days in jail, $9,500 fine, and community service. Say what? Oh, yeah. We're told this is what broke open the whole non-existent Russia collusion. Papadopoulos, 14 days, $9,500, and community service. Well done. What a bunch of jackasses. Honest to God, are they wasting our money, wasting our time? So What? They can put together a case for impeachment? That's the job of prosecutors? To put the case together for impeachment? To work hand-in-glove with Democrats and the media? No, I don't think so. Now when we return, more a Barack Milhouse, Obama's, oh, and Benito, Obama's Castro-like speech. The fun continues.
0: of Constitution you've got, I'm just happy to see Mark Levin. Call him now at 877 381 Let
1: us continue where we left off, shall we? Yes, we shall. Barack Melhouse, Benito Obama at the University of Illinois today with his Castro-like speech. Go!
2: More often, it's manufactured by the powerful and the privileged Who want to keep us divided and keep us angry and keep us cynical because that helps them maintain the status quo and keep their power and keep
1: their privilege. Now, what the hell is he talking about here? Who's dividing whom? Who's dividing whom in this country? Who is it? Which party is a party of disparate parts that has to be brought together during the course of a campaign through hyperbole and propaganda and demagoguery it's the democrat party it's a party that was molded by franklin roosevelt disparate parts people who always have a chip on their shoulder people who always believe they're being screwed people who always believe somebody owes them something is that not the heart and soul of the message of the Democrat Party? Is that not what we hear from Benito Obama endlessly? Yes. And Obama, like Saul Linsky, like Marx, like the rest of them, he takes who he is and what he stands for and twists it, spins it, and projects it on his targets, on his opponents. Go ahead.
2: And you happen to be coming of age during one of those moments. It did not start with Donald Trump. He is a symptom, not the cause.
1: Now this kind of egomaniacal lecturing is par for the course when it comes to Obama. And look at how disrespectful he is. Trump is a symptom, not a cause, ladies and gentlemen. No, Trump is the president, you jackass, and we voted for him. And the nation elected him president, just as the nation elected you president. That's a fact. He's not a symptom, he's the president. And when he says he's a symptom, not the cause, he's trashing you. You know, those of you who hold tight to your Bibles and your guns. He's the one who started trashing tens of millions of American people, picked up by Hillary Clinton and rephrased as deplorables. It's Barack Obama who has contempt for average men and women in this country who work with their hands, blue-collar workers, non-union and union. He has contempt For the people who do the back-breaking work in this country. Cut three, go.
2: And even though your generation is the most diverse in history, with a a greater acceptance and celebration of our differences than ever before.
1: We don't celebrate our differences. They're exploited by leftists like you. All these new phrases that pop up. Triggered. Safe spaces, snowflakes, white privilege. This is all of the left. Greater acceptance and celebration on our college campuses? Really? In the media? Really?
2: Go ahead. Those are the kinds of conditions that are ripe for exploitation by politicians who have no compunction and no shame about tapping into America's dark history of racial and ethnic and religious division.
1: Now let's stop right there. This was Obama's tool from day one. Obama's tool from day one. America's dark history of racial and ethnic and religious division. We're a country, as Shelby Steele points out time and time and time again, who's gone through slavery That's gone through segregation. We are a country that is in fact more united and more diverse than any other country on the face of the earth. And yet we have politicians on the left who are constantly picking at scabs. Again, what did I just say? He takes who he is, what he is, what he does and projects it onto his opponents. Go ahead.
2: Appealing to tribe. Appealing to fear. Pitting one group against another.
1: Really? One group against another? Isn't that something? You mean like cops against the black community? That sort of thing? You mean like the way you treated the Israelis? And how you pitted them? Against the rest of the world? That, that sort of thing? Go ahead.
2: That order and security will be restored if it weren't for those who don't look like us or don't sound
1: like us. Who the hell says that? That's about as stupid as it gets. And I'm really tired of his affectations and his delivery. It's sort of a knockoff of Bill Clinton, and I was sick of him decades ago. The race baiting. That's a Democrat tool. The race baiting. Go ahead.
2: We do. That's an old playbook. It's as old as time. And in a healthy democracy, it doesn't work.
1: Yeah. In a healthy democracy, it doesn't work. And yet the fact is, it is they who promote it. Let's continue. Cut four, go.
2: But when there's a vacuum in our democracy, when we don't vote...
1: There's no vacuum in our democracy. Why don't you tell us things, Mr. President, Mr. Ex-President, like... We need to bring faith back into our lives. We need to respect faith in the public square, as we used to. We need to keep families together, rather than have policies, particularly welfare policies that tear them asunder. We need to stop playing mental games with ourselves about self-identifying this sex or that sex. We need to stop talking about white privilege and talk about Americans. Why don't you talk that way, Mr. President? We need to embrace... The kinds of values and beliefs that are enshrined in our Declaration of Independence. That God is bigger than man and the rule of law is bigger than man. Why do you never say these things? Ever. Go ahead.
2: But when there's a vacuum in our democracy, when we don't vote, when we take our basic rights and freedoms for granted... When we turn away and stop paying attention and stop engaging and stop believing and look for the newest diversion, the, the electronic versions of bread and circuses, then other voices fill the void.
1: And by the way, let's just uh, I have no idea what the hell he's talking about. These are platitudes. He didn't write them. I know what bread and circuses means. I, need, I know what electronic diversions mean and all the rest. But that has nothing to do with anything. Go ahead.
2: A politics of fear and resentment.
1: Now, the politics of fear and resentment, isn't that him? Isn't that Bernie Sanders? Isn't that every single person on the left? Wasn't that the Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee? Women will die if Kavanaugh is confirmed. There will be no equal rights if Kavanaugh's confirmed. The attack on Bork, the attack on Clarence Thomas, the attack on Reagan, the attack on Trump. Isn't that them? Of course it is. Go ahead. Takes hold.
2: And demagogues promise simple fixes.
1: Now that's precious. Demagogues promise simple fixes. Well, then he just self identified. And that is the perfect definition of the left. You want free health care? Just pass a law. Want to get rid of student loans? Just pass a law and eliminate them. On and on and on. It is the simple promise that in so many cases elects the Democrats. Go ahead.
2: No promise to fight for the little guy. Even as they cater to the wealthiest and most powerful.
1: Oh, I just thought he told us to stop promoting divisions. Didn't he, Mr. Producer? And yet he can't... Out of one side of his big mouth, he keeps talking about not promoting divisions. It's demagoguery and so forth. Resentment. Resentment. Fear and resentment. In the same sentence, he talks about the little guy catering to the wealthiest and most powerful. Go ahead.
2: They'll promise to clean up corruption and then plunder away. They start undermining norms that ensure accountability.
1: Start undermining norms? You destroyed the health care system. You, won't, you didn't enforce immigration laws. You packed the courts. You ruled by fiat when it came to DACA. Your administration unleashed the IRS against the Tea Party. Are these the norms you're talking about, Barack Obama? What norms are you talking about? He wants fundamental transformation, fundamental transformation of America, and yet he talks about the norms, the hypocrisy, the illogic, the utter idiocy of what he has to say is reflected in what almost everyone on the left has to say. They attack the status quo, and then they talk about the norms. They attack the status quo. And then they talk about the norms. Then they talk about fundamental transformation. And defend the status quo. Go ahead.
2: And try to change the rules to entrench their power further. And they appeal to racial nationalism. Racial
1: nationalism. Who's appealing to racial nationalism? He can't quite say white supremacy. He can't quite say that. So he talks about racial nationalism. That's going on in South Africa right now, as far as I know. There's no racial nationalism in America. So why, if he's talking about demagoguery and all that, why is he demagoguing this issue? Dividing the nation on race, when he just said we shouldn't be doing that. I'll be right back. March. Love in. By the way, next hour, we're going to play more clips. I'm not going to do this the whole show, but I want to go through this because some of the points really do need to be challenged. And if I don't challenge him, who the hell is going to challenge him, quite frankly? But he does bring up Obama, Southern Democrats as among the worst offenders. And he's talking about the Southern Democrats of past. Orville Faubus, George Wallace, Bull Connor, and so forth. I've been bringing this up since I've been on the air and before. So we're going to play what he said. And if he nails that, there he deserves kudos, quite frankly. Because you don't hear Democrats talk about that. But we're not done. Every time you go online, your internet provider and advertising companies can track what you do and sell your personal information. Are you tired of that? It's one thing to whine about it. It's another thing to do something about it. Plus, the NSA is gobbling up information. So how can you protect yourself? Well, I'll tell you how. Computer experts recommend using a VPN. The software I use is called Express VPN. It's the best. It makes super easy for anyone to stay private online. They're rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. Now, these days, I don't use the Internet with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN's apps take just minutes to set up and afterwards run seamlessly in the background of my computer and smartphone. You install the program, then turn on ExpressVPN protection with a single click. It couldn't be easier. ExpressVPN secures and makes anonymous your Internet through data encryption and hiding your IPS address. That means nobody, nobody can record or access your activity online. Not your IPA address, nothing. So, if you want to protect yourself from hackers, spy agencies, and your ISP, visit expressvpn.com slash That's express, dot com slash mark, and get their special offer. Three months free with a one-year package. Don't risk your online data any longer. Visit expressvpn.com slash mark today. I'm telling you, that is a great service. All right, we'll jump to that. Let us jump to uh, the clip that I just mentioned that Mr. Producer just found. Go ahead. I
2: understand this is not just a matter of Democrats versus Republicans or liberals versus conservatives. At various times in our history, this kind of politics has infected both parties. Southern Democrats were the bigger defenders of slavery. It took a Republican... All right, all
1: right, hold, 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 hold on. Southern Democrats were the bigger defenders of slavery? No. It was the Democrat Party... That was the party of slavery. I just want to be perfectly clear about this. I know of no leading Republican in the lead up to the Civil War and through the Civil War who supported slavery. Go ahead.
2: Abraham Lincoln to end it. Dixiecrats filibustered anti-lynching legislation. Opposed the idea of expanding civil rights. And although it was a Democratic president and a majority Democrat Congress spurred on by young marchers and protesters, they got the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act over the finish line, those historic laws also got passed because of the leadership of
1: Republicans,
2: like Illinois' own Everett Dirksen. So neither party has had a monopoly on wisdom.
1: Now, now see... 80% of that's right, but the other 20% is just wrong. The Republican Party has never been a party of slavery. In fact, the Republican Party grew up out of opposition to slavery. The first Civil Rights Act was in 1957 under a Republican president. Now, there clearly were Democrats who supported civil rights legislation and voting rights legislation. There's absolutely no question about it. Including Lyndon Johnson when he was a president and when he was a senator, he opposed it. But it took the vast majority of the Republicans in the Senate and the vast majority of the Republicans in the House to pass this legislation. But at least he does acknowledge it as a fact. A historical fact. Which we talk about here all the time. My problem with Obama is his ideology. I don't believe his ideology helps human beings of any race. And it's not even his ideology. He just embraces the ideology. I do not believe that the ideology that is grown out of Rousseau, Hegel, and Marx, the modern term progressivism, I do not believe that that ideology is pro-human being. Oh, yes, they create programs. Oh, yes, they create subsidies. They create all these things. But taken to its logical extreme, what it creates is a very bleak and dark future for human beings of every color. I'll be right back. Talk about us having respect for each other and treating each other with courtesy, even if we disagree. Is that really the uh, modus operandi of the left? Is that how they treated Clarence Thomas? Is that how they treated Herman Cain? Is that how they treated Alan West? Is that how they treated Miguel Estrada when he was up for the circuit court? One of the things I hope to get to this evening are these memos that Patrick Leahy said were stolen. They were stolen from the committee. No, they weren't. They weren't stolen from anybody. They had a shared database, and the Democrats put their memos on the shared database for all staffers to see, and all staffers saw them. Those memos, which came out, I guess, in 2003, 2002, 2003, in 2005, I put them in the back of my book, Men in Black, a book on the Supreme Court. We're going to go over some of those memos and why they're so troubling and why so much of what, the, of what President Obama and the Democrats on the left say is nonsense about how they treat people who they disagree with. Black, Hispanic, women. They don't play by Marcus of Queensbury rules. These aren't fair debates. Again, look what takes place with the Senate Democrats and the Judiciary Committee trying to destroy the guy, Kavanaugh. You can raise legitimate questions. I had some legitimate questions, which never got you know, asked, but that's okay. Trying to destroy the guy? Cory Booker. Demanding the release of these confidential memos, which he already got approval to release. And one of them, he says, is on racial profiling. And what do we find out? Racial profiling. By that, let's be blunt, they meant Arab Muslims. Because it was the day after or the week after 9-11. And there was some discussion about profiling. And Kavanaugh came down on the side against it. Clearly, Cory Booker hadn't read the memo. Somebody told him it was about racial profiling. And so that went on for hours. That's how the left treats people. Let me play one more. Last one for now. Again, Obama at the University of Illinois. Shouldn't be partisanship to say we don't pressure the Attorney General to punish political opponents. But listen to it all the way to the end. Cut eight, go.
2: It should not be Democratic or Republican. It should not be a partisan issue to say that we do not pressure the Attorney General or the FBI to use the criminal justice system as a cudgel to punish our political opponents. Or to explicitly call on the Attorney General to protect members of our own party from persecution. Yeah, is that
1: why Dinesh D'Souza did 20 minutes in federal prison? for a minor campaign violation. It did 20 months, I should say. 20 months in a federal prison for a minor campaign violation where nobody lands in prison. Is that, is that, is that what I understand? Anyway, go ahead.
2: Because an election happens to be coming up. I'm, I'm not making that up. That's not hypothetical. It shouldn't be Democratic or Republican to say that We don't threaten the freedom of the press because they say things or publish stories we don't like. I complain plenty about Fox News. But you never heard me
1: threaten to shut them down. All right, that's where we're going to stop. I did research on this. I've got so many articles on what Obama did in attacking the free press. I can barely keep track of them. So let me... Let me enter a few of them into the record here. Paul Bedard, a tremendous reporter over at the Washington Examiner today. Flashback, Obama prosecuted staff leakers, gave lie detector tests. Paranoid. Should President Trump need a model to use to track down leakers inside his administration? What does it have to Stay with me. Like the anonymous insider who challenged his authority in the New York Times op-ed, he need go no further than the Obama administration that prosecuted leakers and shut out the media. According to reports at the time from even the New York Times, and that is New York Times journalists, no administration was tougher on leakers and punishing to the media than Obama's, a saga reinforced by reporters who have called Trump's team more forthcoming. Criticism of Obama's attacks on the media and leakers did not just come in tweets and TV appearances by journalists, but in an official report, From the Committee to Protect Journalists, authored by former Washington Post executive editor Leonard Downey Jr. Quote, this is the most closed control freak administration I've ever covered, said David Sanger, veteran chief Washington correspondent of The New York Times in the report. USA Today said of the report, it portrays an administration gripped by strict policies about information flow and paranoid about leaks across all executive branch departments. It detailed prosecutions and even the use of lie detectors on staffers. Some have encouraged Trump to use lie detector tests on his staff, something is so far ignored. While Trump has ripped leakers and the anonymous Times writer of being cowards and traitors, it was Obama who took the war to a higher level by targeting staff and reporters while also cutting out the media to promote its story via social media. The administration's war on leaks, I quote, and other efforts to control information are the most aggressive I've seen since the Nixon administration when I was one of the editors involved in the Washington Post investigation of Watergate. The 30 experienced Washington journalists and a variety of news organizations whom I've interviewed for this report could not remember any precedent, wrote Downey in the report that was criticized by Obama officials. In fact, the campaign was so aggressive, it even had a name, said the report. Quote, the Insider Threat Program, unquote. Said the 2013 report, again I quote, The Insider Threat Program, being implemented through the Obama administration to stop leaks, first detailed by the McClatchy newspaper's Washington Bureau in late June, has already created internal surveillance, heightened a degree of paranoia in the government, and made people conscious of contacts with the public, advocates, and the press, said a prominent transparency advocate, Stephen Aftergood, director of the Government Secrecy Project at the Federation of American Scientists in Washington, which is a hardcore left-wing group. Employees at some 16 intelligence agencies face questions about leaking during lie detector tests. And the new inspector general for the intelligence community, with jurisdiction over all its agencies, would investigate leaked cases that had not produced prosecutions by the Department of Justice to determine what alternative actions should be taken, added the report. Pretty damn aggressive, don't you think? Pretty damn aggressive, but there was more than that. A lot more than that. James Risen... December 30, 2016, a New York Times reporter wrote an opinion piece. He wrote an opinion piece in the Sunday Review New York Times. Big deal for the left. Donald Trump decides as president to throw a whistleblower in jail for trying to talk to a reporter. He gets the FBI to spy on a journalist. He will have one man to thank for bequeathing him such expansive power. Barack Obama. This is the left. Mr. Trump made his animus toward the news media clear during the presidential campaign. And it goes on. Criticism of Obama's stance on press freedom, government transparency, and secrecy is hotly disputed by the White House. But many journalism groups say the record is clear. Over the past eight years, meaning Obama, the administration has prosecuted nine cases involving whistleblowers and leakers, compared with only three by all previous administrations combined. It has repeatedly used the Espionage Act, a relic of World War I era red baiting, he writes. Not to prosecute spies, but to go after government officials who talk to journalists. Under Obama, the Justice Department and FBI have spied on reporters by monitoring their phone records, labeled one journalist an unindicted co conspirator, and that would be, uh, I believe, James Rosen of Fox, who he just laughed off Obama. Oh, yeah, look, I criticize him, but I never did anything. An unindicted co conspirator in a criminal case for simply doing reporting and issued subpoenas to other reporters to try and force them to reveal their sources and testify in criminal cases. Can you imagine if Trump did any of this? I experienced this pressure firsthand, writes the New York Times reporter, when the administration tried to compel me to testify to reveal my confidential sources in a criminal leak investigation. The Justice Department finally relented, even though it has already won a seven-year court battle that went all the way to the Supreme Court to force me to testify. Most likely because they feared the negative publicity that would come from sending a New York Times reporter to prison. In an interview last May, Obama pushed back on the criticism that his administration had been engaged in a war on the press. He argued that the number of leaked prosecutions his administration has brought had been small and that some of those cases were inherited from the George W. Bush administration. But critics say the crackdown has had a much greater chilling effect on press freedom than Obama acknowledges. In a scathing 2013 report, and I just read it to you, parts of it, the Committee to Protect Journalists lays it out. When Mr. Obama was elected in 2008, press freedom groups had high expectations for the former constitutional professor, particularly after the press had suffered through eight years of bitter confrontation with the Bush administration. But today... Many of those same groups say Mr. Obama's record of going after both journalists and their sources set a dangerous precedent, and it goes on. And it gives numerous examples. No, Obama said that he never said the press is the enemy of the people. It sure seems that way, doesn't it? Action speaks louder than words, I believe. And uh, only a few journalists, so-called, have been willing to speak out about this. A very few, quite frankly. And uh, I'm looking right here. One moment here. Yeah. yeah. And there are examples I haven't even touched on. The Associated Press reporters had their cell phones surveilled. James Rosen, who I just spoke about. Reporter for Fox. He had his cell phone calls intercepted. And by the way, that included his parents. This is the problem with Obama. This is the problem. And by the way, not just with Obama. This is the problem with the autocratic left. Everything is to be seen through the eyes of government. The economy... Social welfare. The culture. The government must intervene. The government must be ubiquitous. That's not what the Constitution says. The Constitution says the opposite. It says the opposite. And here's the deal the bigger the government gets, the bigger the government gets, the more all people are threatened. All people are threatened. I have a number of you who who listen to this program regularly. Got a buddy out there by the name of Stephen. I want to recommend that he read my book, Ameritopia, at least the first two chapters. Read the first two chapters. I'll be right back. love in. Bottom of the hour, I guess in five or six minutes, Ted Cruz is scheduled to uh, be on the program. Now, one of the reasons why Leahy was upset about these memos he kept droning on about. Stolen, they stole our memos. Actually, the memos were not stolen. The Democrats gave them away is what happened. And I look at the back of Men in Black. My first book, and you have a memo dated January 30, 2013. Members meeting with Leader Dashell. Now, throughout these memos, you'll see that they meet with all these left-wing groups. And these left-wing groups are actually dictating tactics, meetings, hearings to the left-wing senators, including Leahy. And one of them, or several of them, they're focused on Miguel Estrada. Miguel Estrada, who I believe his heritage is... Honduran, but don't take that to the bank. In any event, he is a Latino. And their great fear, their great fear is that Estrada will get on the circuit court in Washington, D.C. and be primed to move to the United States Supreme Court. And they did not want the Republicans to be the first to appoint a Latino to the United States Supreme Court, especially this one, who's a constitutionalist, a seasoned litigator, even though a young man. All in attendance agreed to attempt to filibuster the nomination of Miguel Estrada if they have the votes to defeat cloture. They also agree that if they do not have the votes to defeat cloture, a contested loss would be worse than no contest. Estrada is likely to be a Supreme Court nominee, and it will be much harder to defeat him in a Supreme Court setting if he's confirmed easily now. I wonder what Barack Obama thinks about this. This was civil rights leaders, so-called self-appointed Left wing Democrats. Who was in the meeting? Leader Daschle, Tom Daschle, leader of the Democrats, and Assistant Leader Harry Reid. Who else? Leahy, Durbin, John Edwards, Ted Kennedy, Dianne Feinstein, Chuck Schumer. All of them in the meeting to try and figure out how to block this Latino from getting on the circuit court because then he would be poised or positioned. To go to the Supreme Court. Had to block him. And uh, they say later in another memo. Regarding Miguel Estrada. We must filibuster Miguel Estrada's nomination. He's clearly an intelligent lawyer. But being a judge requires more. And later on if we allow them to place a stealth right-wing zealot on this court we've only ourselves to blame although a few Hispanic groups support Estrada, we have the support of many of the largest, oldest Hispanic organizations the D.C. circuit's far too important, and they go on we can't repeat the mistake we made with Clarence Thomas what mistake did they make with Clarence Thomas? because he was an African American a constitutional originalist and you see, this is the sick irony of the left. If you're a black person, or a brown person, or a red person, or a yellow person, or any person, and you step out of line, they will not allow it without trashing you, smearing you, trying to dis- or try to destroy you. They cannot allow independent thinking. Part of the community, don't you know? Part of the group groupthink. They cannot allow people to think for themselves as they cobble together their majority with various minorities, whether it's skin color, whether it's income, whether it's age, whatever it is. All right. At least he's scheduled. When we come back, Ted Cruz.
0: Unapologetic Patriot and Unapologetic Constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877 381
1: 3811. So here's some exciting news Simply Safe is now valued at $1 billion. Now, what does that mean to you? Well, this company used to be just five guys working together. The founder only started the company because he wanted to help his friends who were burglarized. Now it's worth a billion dollars. Now, what does that mean? It means Simply Safe protects over 2 million people who rely on them. And here's what makes them so great Simply Safe is comprehensive protection for your home with round the clock professional monitoring and police dispatch. You get protection against intruders, fires, leaks, and burst pipes. Simply Safe keeps working during power outages, downed Wi Fi, even if a burglar smashes your keypad. Now the system is easy to use, incredibly intuitive, it takes just minutes to set up. And with Simply Safe, there's no contracts, no wires, no hidden fees. 24-7 monitoring. 24-7 monitoring. Only $14.99 a month. CNET, PC Magazine, and the Wire Cutter all named Simply Safe, their top pick for home security. Order your Simply Safe system now at Simply Safe And you, my listeners, you get free shipping and free returns. That's simplysafemark.com. To protect your home and family today, simplysafemark.com. Now, as is typical, unfortunately, we're having a technical issue. This is why I should learn from all my experience not to announce a guest until the guest is here. Or until we work out the kinks. So if we work out the kinks and we get Ted, he'll be on. If we don't, he won't. All right, Mr. Producer, call screen. Give me a good do we have any do we have any opponents on the phones? Bill in New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hey Mark, how you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing all right. Look, I,
3: I called in because your argument was that you think the left and the media are disrespectful to Donald Trump. I mean, Is that really what you think?
1: I don't mean disrespectful in the way they talk about Donald Trump. I mean disrespectful, yes, of the fact that he is president of the United States. And that has started from day one, even before he was president of the United States.
4: All right.
3: Then let me ask you a simple question. Do you think Barack Obama was born in the United States?
1: Yes. Okay. Then what did you do to stop that lie? Pal, do you ever listen to this program during that period of time? Did you ever go on the Internet? This is the problem with ignorance from the left. I took more crap from the birthers when I would come on this show and say he's a United States citizen. But let me tell you something else, genius. I would say the same thing about Ted Cruz when he was attacked by the Trump campaign. No, 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 no. You don't understand. One parent was from Cuba and so on. said he's a United States citizen as well. What did you do about it? I don't, I don't have the power you do, John. Oh, but did you talk to your neighbors? You got a lot more power. Did you talk to your neighbors? Our own, our own president was the person that started that movement. And he I still, just heard Barack Obama say that the Democrat Party was more responsible for slavery than the Republican Party. The Republican Party had nothing to do with slavery. Let me ask you a question. Oh, listen, everybody. Now he doesn't care. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, God. You're such a coward. You know what, you're such a jackass, I should reach for the phone and poke you in the eye. Get off the phone, you idiot! How am I a coward? He asked me a question and I answered it. I said, of course he's a citizen. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, that's what... Can't we just sit down and get along and discuss these things? Even libertarians and republicans, you all have to agree that our democracy is threatened by Donald Trump, who's never lifted a finger against the media like Barack Obama. This guy didn't give a damn. Let me give you some more great examples of the great Barack Obama and the Democrats. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. They didn't like the fact that that court had more people appointed on it by past Republican administrations than Democrat administrations. So you know what they did? They added seats to the court. They packed the D.C. Circuit Court. Exactly what... FDR tried to do it in the U.S. Supreme Court, and his own party said no. Here, because there's no governor, no governor, I don't mean governor of a state, no governor on the radicalism, they went ahead and they packed the D.C. Circuit Court. Isn't that a big deal? No, it's not a big deal. How about DACA? Where the President of the United States, out of one side of his mouth a year earlier, says, I don't have power like this. I'm not the king. I'm not the dictator. I can't just make immigration laws. And then he makes an immigration law. Did Trump do that? No, but you don't understand. He was a birther. None of these guys are perfect. None of them are perfect. But some are more imperfect than others. Nothing Donald Trump has done from a policy position has negatively affected the vast majority of the people in this country. What has he done? Tax cuts. Oh, tax cuts for the rich, even though they're not for the rich. Hey, stop dividing us based on tribal instincts. Well, they just did. Rich, poor. Trying to enforce the immigration laws. Not do anything extraordinary. Trying to actually enforce the immigration laws. Obama... Supported sanctuary cities, and we could go on and on and on. We could go on and on and on, but I won't. All right, give me somebody else. XM Satellite, Mike in Georgia, go ahead. All right, hey, hey, brother, I'm a huge fan. Number one, um, thank you.
3: So, where I'm coming from, I'm a prior ranger instructor with the Fourth Ranger Training Battalion.
1: Hold on, uh, slow down there. You're what?
3: Sorry about that. Um, Prior Ranger Instructor with the Fourth Ranger Training Battalion.
1: Wow, you're um, a tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, no! It's I, an I, honor. I, I thank you. Well,
3: oh, thank you. Um, one of the things I want to talk about leadership. Obama talks all the time about you know Trump doesn't have leadership. Uh, he's he's not a good leader. One of the first things that we teach our Ranger students is you got to be got to be humble. You got to tell. You got to be able to say when you're wrong. You got to be able to say what your weaknesses are. That is one thing that Obama absolutely could not do at any time during his presidency.
1: hmm uh-huh. Very true. And I want to thank you for your service, sir. I appreciate it. Let's see, Brett, Lebanon, Tennessee, XM Satellite, go. Hey, thanks, Mark. Great job. Go ahead, Brett.
3: Down, as always. Um, yeah, I wanted. Are to, we still on uh, the air, Mister Um I'm right here. Are you there, you Brett?
1: Me? I can't hear Brett. Let's try somebody else. Joe, Long Island, New York. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, hey, uh, Mark. I can't hear Joe either. Am I having headphone problems now again? Tell you what, we're going to take an early break. We'll let everybody know the affiliate's down the line, and we'll be right back.
5: Mark Lovin.
1: You know, I owe you folks an explanation. We, have, we broadcast over what's called an ISDN line, and we have a backup on the Internet. And what's been happening is the ISDN line has been dropping out. Now, we can't fix the ISDN line. Cumulus Westwood One can't fix it. We rely on our provider. And I don't know if it's AT&T or Verizon, but this has been going on for a week now. That's twice it's happened. So somebody better get off their ass either at AT&T and Verizon to get this fixed. I really don't know what the problem is. So we're broadcasting on our backup line, which is on the Internet. And so when you have a storm coming through like we do around the bunker, it can knock you out. But I want to, uh, I want to welcome Ted Cruz to the program. Senator, how are you, sir?
6: Mark, I'm doing terrific, and let me be the first to say I'll do everything I can to fix your phone line. <laughs>
1: Well, you'll be at about as effective as I am, I think. Uh,
6: you, you know, I'm told that if you hold up a coat hanger and some tinfoil, that it gets better reception.
1: Yeah, I, I try that. I started broadcasting that way, you know. Um, Senator Cruz, first of all, I watched... By, by the, the way, yeah. your,
6: your, your younger listeners have no idea what we're talking about. No, of course not. That's okay. That they've never actually seen a television <laughs> antenna.
1: You know, Senator, I watched these uh, hearings on uh, Brett Kavanaugh. And I've seen some horrible hearings. This this is like a low. You have a United States senator violating or at least trying to violate the uh, Senate rules and the committee rules, uh, demanding that he be held in some form of uh, – be, be held responsible for it because he's running for president. Yep. Have you seen this before?
6: Uh, I haven't. It, it, it is political theater. And, and it, you know, in many ways you can view it as sort of the ultimate extension of, of Robert Bork's hearing – 30 years ago. Uh, but now we've gotten to the point where where the, the nomination is every Democratic member of the committee had announced they were voting no on Brett Kavanaugh before the hearing started. So there was no mystery, no surprise. And it also became abundantly clear not a single one of them had any questions about his qualifications. They all agreed he was fully qualified. And most of them had, had no substantive questions. Critique of his actual decade-plus service as a federal appellate judge. Uh, instead, they spent their time attacking Donald Trump, which they devoted a lot of time to, uh, and and also, uh, you know, I mean, it was it was remarkable to see the the Senate Democrats apparently coordinating with protesters who one after the other after the other would scream and yell and disrupt the proceedings. We had seventy people arrested the first day of the hearing, mm-hmm. and and. And what, what the day we started the hearings, one of my colleagues, Senator John Kennedy, asked, said, you know, there have been these reports that there was a conference call of all the Democratic senators on the committee, along with these protest groups. So this was a deliberate strategy. Is that true? And he looked looked over at the Democrats. And Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois, uh, he responded. He said, yeah, we had a conference call. And he didn't dispute for a moment that this was all just, just play acting, where I think they recognize, rightly, they don't have the votes to defeat Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed. And so because their base is so angry, so filled with rage, that I guess they thought it would impress them to have lots of people screaming and yelling and disrupting. And and that ultimately, you know, I I guess it it reached its final culmination in Cory Booker's I am Spartacus moment.
1: Uh, which he's not, but that, end, that actually didn't end well for Spartacus last time I checked. <laughs> now, Senator, let me ask you this question. I mean, we now reached a point, because as you watch these hearings, that if a nominee doesn't agree to the entire policy and political agenda of the left, then they are therefore unqualified to serve on the Supreme Court. I was hearing, I think I was hearing that.
6: In many ways, this is the result of what we've seen over the last 50 years, which is as the court has gotten more and more politicized, as the justices have said, we're going to resolve every public policy issue in the land. Well, if Supreme Court justices behave like politicians, we we shouldn't be surprised to see the political process treating them like politicians. That's a lot of what's playing out, Mm -hmm. where for the Democrats, they don't really care whether Brett Kavanaugh is qualified or not they don't care that he's one of the most respected federal appellate judges they wouldn't care if he was drawing with crayons on 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 manila paper mm-hmm. what they care is 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 will he swear on a blood oath to vote the right way and the important uh, flashpoint issues and it's because for for modern democrats the supreme court is is the super legislature they can't win at the ballot box the american people don't agree with their substantive policy positions so instead, the left wants five unelected lawyers in robes to decree, the, to decree victories. And, and so they view these nominations as essentially all-out war.
1: Now, Senator Cruz, a lot is being said about your campaign in Texas. Now, my audience wants to lend a hand. You know, my audience wants you reelected. My audience wants you back in the United States. And as a matter of fact, when you launched your primary challenge originally— leading to the United States Senate. It was launched right here when it came to radio. And we get inquiries about this. What can you tell us about the race, and what can you tell us both the people in Texas and the people all over the country? What can they do?
6: Well, the race in Texas, we've got a real fight. It, it is already the most expensive Senate race in the country. And my opponent, Congressman Beto O'Rourke, is running hard, hard left, like Bernie Sanders. He wants higher taxes, higher regulations. Socialized medicine. He says he's open to abolishing ICE. He has the most anti Israel record of any Democratic Senate nominee in the country. And he is the only Democratic Senate nominee to come out explicitly for impeaching Donald Trump. And he has said he would vote yes today to impeach Trump. And despite the fact, Mark, that he is running to the left of Bernie Sanders, to the left of Elizabeth Warren, he is the number one Democratic fundraiser in the country. And he's out raising our campaign. More than two to one, nearly three to one. Last quarter, we raised $4.6 million. He raised in the same quarter $10.4 million. So we are getting outspent dramatically. Now, I still believe we're going to win. But we've got a fight where we're facing what's going to be tens of millions of dollars of money flooding in from liberals all over the country. And they are up on TV. We are not. They have yard signs everywhere because they've spent $4 million in yard signs that we don't have. And so we've got to fight. And in Texas, the good news is in Texas, there are a lot more conservatives than liberals. What we have to do is turn conservatives out. So you ask, what can your listeners do? There are three things we need, which are votes, money, and message. On votes, anyone in Texas, make sure you come out and vote. Bring your friends, bring your family, bring your loved ones. If you have friends in Texas, pick up the phone, send them an email, send them a text, make sure they vote. On the money front, we're getting massively outraised as, as, as Hollywood liberals and liberals all over the country. If Democrats could defeat one Republican in the country on the ballot in 2018, it would be me, and they are flooding this race with cash. So what I would urge everyone, go to our website. It's tedcruz.org, tedcruz.org, tedcruz.org. Make a contribution. If you're in Texas, go to tedcruz.org and order a yard sign. Put a yard sign out front. And then the third is message, speak out, use our voice to speak out for why freedom matters, why we should end sanctuary cities, why we need to secure the border, why we should confirm strong constitutionalists for the court. This is a battle, and and there is a country with a starker Mm -hmm. difference between the two candidates than this Senate race in Texas.
1: TedCruz.org is where I'm hoping uh, millions of you will go and make a donation. Um, so a lot of money is pouring into Texas from outside of Texas, and I guess you're getting a lot of PAC money being spent by these these various left-wing groups. Is that correct as well?
6: Well, for example, J Street PAC, which, as you know, is virulently anti-Israel, uh, is bundling money for Beto O'Rourke. They've, they've raised over 185000 for it. And and look, I'll, I'll give an example. You and I both care passionately about Israel and, and, and America's friendship and, and, and alliance, In 2014, when Hamas was raining rockets down on Israel, Beto O'Rourke was one of eight, one of eight members of the House of Representatives, to vote against funding Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system. Virtually every Republican in Congress voted yes. Virtually every Democrat voted yes. Nancy Pelosi voted yes. Maxine Waters voted yes. But Beto O'Rourke voted no. And, and, and that is why you're seeing the hard-left money rushing in. Um, you know, we're seeing right now, he and I are having a big dispute right now over over protesting, NFL players protesting. Uh, Beto O'Rourke is all in with Colin Kaepernick. He's all in with NFL protesters. He was asked at a town hall by a veteran. A man stood up and said, listen, I'm a veteran. My family has a lot of veterans. We're offended when we see wealthy NFL players dropping to their knees refusing to stand protesting during the flag do you think it's disrespectful and beto o'rourke responded no he didn't think it's disrespectful and he went on to say he said he couldn't think of anything more american than taking a knee and protesting during the national anthem Mm -hmm. i mean that is a radical view and here's what happened that video went viral hollywood liberals loved it Ellen DeGeneres retweeted it. Kevin Bacon retweeted it. It, it, They went crazy over it in Hollywood. And so, actually, he was on the Ellen Show this week, just being praised. Well,
1: the better news is you're on the Mark Levin Show, and we're going to talk to the audience now, and we're going to give you we're going to give you a helping hand, Ted. Good luck to you. Keep at it. We'll be right back. that is your name Beto O'Rourke if you'd like to come on this program I would give you equal time 10 minutes to discuss the issues to debate the issues in fact we'd we'd like you to come on the program Beto O'Rourke now again Ted Cruz is being swamped by out of state money by zillionaires who are concerned about the poor obviously particularly in Hollywood and other locations. And you heard him. He needs your support. So uh, it will be a very sad day if on election night, the Democrats take the seat in Texas from a conservative, who, by the way, is considered, if not the number one supporter of Israel, certainly up there with a few others. But in the Senate, I'd say he's number one. And you know what's Ironic about that, he's a bigger supporter of Israel than most of the Jews in the Senate. That's right, I said it. And let me tell you something else. Beto O'Rourke, one of eight, who voted against the Iron Dome so Israel could defend itself against Hezbollah and Hamas and Iran. Think about that. One of eight. Even Maxine Waters votes for it. Now what's that all about? I'll tell you what that's all about. And I've been talking about it. I'm the only one. Who has the guts to talk about it? That jerk in New Jersey, driving up and down a New Jersey turnpike. Liberal kook. The fact of the matter is, the Democrat Party is not only off the rails in most other areas, but there's now debates within the Democrat Party whether they should support our ally Israel or Fatah, which is a terrorist organization. And the fact of the matter is, Bernie Sanders is anti Israel. The vast majority of the leftists are anti Israel. As many of them are anti America's founding principles. They overlap, you know. They overlap. Beto O'Rourke is one of them, one of the eight. This group, J Street, go ahead and Google it, J Street. It is fronted by a bunch of leftists who are, in my humble opinion, just my opinion, self-hating Jews. And they're out there to give cover to the haters, to the Beto O'Rourke's. Why would they pour a lot of money in and support Beto O'Rourke when Beto O'Rourke opposes even supporting the Iron Dome? Why would they do that? Because that's what they do. That's who they are. Now in his long Castro-like speech today, Obama never mentioned this issue, did he? He used religion generically. He talked about religion in such a way as you thought he was talking about Trump, trashing Trump and his dealing with immigration and Muslims and so forth, but he never has taken any responsibility for his interference in the election of Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel. If it's a crime for the Russians to interfere in our election, why isn't it a crime for Obama to interfere in the Israeli election? Trying to topple a friendly government. And what kind of a Jewish organization, such as it is, supports a man in Barack Obama and supports a candidate in this guy, Beto, who gave $150 billion through their actions, money from all over the world, $150 billion to this terrorist regime in Iran. To this terrorist regime in Iran. Iran. The Democrat Party is looking more and more like the Labor Party in Britain, headed by this guy, Corbyn, who's a Jew hater. He's out of the closet. He is what he is. Now, the vast majority of you listening to this program, you're not Jewish. But you know what I mean. The vast majority of people listening to this program are Christian. I mean, obviously, some atheists, some uh, agnostics, some this, some that. That's good. We have a very diverse audience. But my point is, what's right is right, and what's wrong is wrong. And the fact is, you have a candidate running in Texas who holds the positions he holds, who is a hater in my view, and he winds up on the Ellen Show, and he's the talk of Hollywood, and he's all over Hollywood and TV, And the Democrats are rushing in to support him? What does that tell you? What does that tell you about the Democrat Party? It tells you a lot. And if he wins in Texas, you will see the replacement of a solid conservative, a pro-American pro-Israel pro-constitution American being defeated by in my view an anti-American anti-Israel anti-constitution candidate I mean the switch couldn't be more dramatic and Beto O'Rourke's party is not condemning him how often do we hear how come Trump won't condemn this how come Trump won't condemn this well let me ask you a question Why won't Schumer condemn Beto O'Rourke? Why won't the Jews that that are uh, in in high office, in the House and the Senate or in governorships, condemn Beto O'Rourke? In fact, forget about the Jews. Why don't all the liberals condemn Beto O'Rourke? Because he obviously has, in my opinion a problem, an issue. One of eight? To vote against supporting the Iron Dome? And don't tell me he's a fiscal conservative. He was concerned about spending money on foreign policy and so on. That guy's a leftist. You heard what Ted Cruz said. He's as left as they come. Ellen DeGeneres had him on the show. She wants him to win. Really? Does she have issues too? Michael Moore wants him to. Does he have issues too? How come Hollywood never has to answer for the candidates that these various actors and actresses and entertainers support? How come they don't have to answer for it? This guy, Beto O'Rourke, he's not your mainstream Democrat. He's not even your typical liberal Democrat. He's a radical. He's a radical. And this race, believe it or not, even given the fact that it's Texas, outside of Texas, has been under the radar for the most part. It's been under the—everybody just assumes Cruz is going to win. Well, the left is pouring enormous resources into this campaign. To defeat Ted Cruz, yes, but to elect this radical— did you hear Barack Milhouse Benito Obama in his Castro-like speech distance himself from Beto O'Rourke? No. Has Chuck Schumer taken to the Senate floor and distanced himself from Beto O'Rourke? No. Has Carl Bernstein said that we have a Beto O'Rourke moment, that Democrats should speak out against Beto O'Rourke? No. It doesn't matter how radical, extreme, hardcore left wing the Democrats are in fact they celebrate them Bernie Sanders is nothing but an old fool an old red a 28 year old wins the, the Democrat primary with 17,000 votes she celebrated celebrated like she's Queen Elizabeth in Britain why are they celebrating a communist I mean in effect that's what they are aren't they I should ask an expert on this, John Brennan, but close enough. So this race in Texas is a big deal. And I want to strongly encourage you to go to TedCruz.org and make a difference. I mean, what else can we do, particularly if you live outside the state? There's nothing else you can do except mutter. But we're beyond muttering. This isn't a program where it's just talk radio. This is conservative talk radio. From time to time I get involved in primaries. We win some and we lose some. Other hosts believe they shouldn't be involved in that sort of thing. Why? I can't turn this into primary radio and I'm not going to do it. But there are certain cases that punch in the nose. So I consider this a Levin surge, if you will. Those of you who have listened to this program over the years, you know this is important. For several reasons. But the idea that this guy, Beto O'Rourke, could be in the United States Senate, who's already announced that he would vote to convict Donald Trump if impeachment reached the Senate. There aren't even articles of impeachment. There isn't even evidence to support articles of impeachment. He's supposed to sit as a juror in the United States Senate, and he's already announced he will vote for impeachment. He's got the support of one of the most Israel-hating, phony front groups in the country, J Street. And his votes prove exactly who he is and what he is. Let's wake up to this one, America. It's right in front of our face. Go to TedCruz.org. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. I mentioned to you folks that on Sunday, 10 p.m. Eastern, on Life, Liberty, Levin on Fox, my special guest is John Voigt. And uh, I just tell you the truth we did the interview a couple hours ago today. And we talked about his friend, Burt Reynolds, and it was very, very touching, very, very touching. And the entire interview, I mean, when I finished and the crew was there and the staff was there and our jaws hit the ground. Absolutely exceptional on so many fronts, on so many fronts. And uh, he's not afraid of voicing his opinion in any respect. And he was very excited about, to be, about being on the program. We're getting a lot of requests now for people to come on the program, but I'm very, you know, judicious in who I choose. Remember the, the thinking behind this program. It's a long-form, one-hour interview program. And when we launched it in February, nobody was doing it. Now everybody wants to do it. Hey, guess what we're doing? A long-form interview program over there on PBS, Pubic Broadcasting Service. And we have Margaret uh, whatever over here, and uh, yeah. And then we have, uh, well, you know who's, who's doing it. It's amazing. I have to keep the title of my books quiet until they're ready to be released. I have to keep the subject of my books quiet until they're ready to be released. There are certain things I can't even post on my social sites because there's so many mental midgets in this business who just grab up the stuff because they don't think independently. I don't even look at their stuff. I don't even think about their stuff. Why would I follow anybody else? I know. I'm just giving you a little insight into this quote-unquote business and how things work. I want to thank the uh, gentleman, the vice president from AT&T, whose name shall not be mentioned on the air. He's a big fan. Uh, apparently our ISDN is AT&T, right, Mr. Producer? Who's in a totally different state, but he's going to give us a hand because uh, we're working with... Um, basically, tape and gum on my internet backup uh, broadcasting system. Which is great, except if there's a big electrical storm that comes through here, then we're going to have the longest silent prayer in American history. And what's been happening is the ISDN drops out. I can't hear anything. We do everything live here, so you at least the affiliates that carry the show live, so you get to hear it that way. All right. Optimate Tax Relief. This is a wonderful, wonderful group. I enjoy helping my listeners, you folks, like Nathaniel, who owed the IRS tens of thousands in back taxes. He told the IRS he didn't have the money to pay, but it didn't matter. They put a lien on his home anyway. Nathaniel heard how much I respect Optimate Tax Relief, so he engaged them. Optima got the IRS to designate Nathaniel's case as CNC status, currently not collectible. It's a big win because it basically says no use pursuing our client. There's nothing to be gained here. Now keep something in mind. The IRS claims that money's owed, but there can be a dispute. Optima kept fighting on Nathaniel's behalf until the IRS agreed to a deal that saved him thousands and resolved his tax debt for good. Optima knows that behind every tax problem are honest, hardworking Americans with families, homes, savings, and paychecks that need to be protected. And they've solved over half a billion dollars in tax debt for clients. If you owe back taxes to the IRS, call my friends at Optima Tax Relief. 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Brett, Tennessee, XM Satellite, Go.
3: Hey, thanks, Mark. Great uh, job breaking everything down as usual. Um, yes, you know, it's uh, it's to- completely apparent that the-, the federal government is the single largest contributor to social unrest and the decline in the civil society. And that's how you know President Obama and the left are able to leverage these talking points because we have these different factions just trying to compete with each other to get their share of the government largesse. and that puts us at each other's throats. And it's abundantly clear with the circus of the Kavanaugh hearings and the Mueller uh, investigation. Well, I don't want you know.
1: to move on because you said something that's very important. Let me, let me try it my way and tell me if I got you right here. The bigger the federal government becomes, the more people are moved into various groups, groups based on need, groups based on income, groups based on race, groups based on sex, groups based on whatever. And so rather than people living their lives as individuals... You have groups fighting over what they should get, government largesse, which the government collects through the private sector and then redistributes. So the more centralized the government gets, the more the government is involved in so many things, the more the people are actually divided. Is that your point, sir?
3: That is absolutely correct, and there's only and Washington D C is incapable of solving these structural Issues. The only way that this is going to be solved peacefully is through an Article Five Convention of States process,
1: mm-hmm. which we which we strongly support. Absolutely, and I, and I happen to think you're right because look at what's going on in this country. Sure, right?
3: it's, it's horrible. I mean, we, we just we get along with each other just fine in our daily lives until it comes to competing for the piece of the government pie, and then we're just totally balkanized, and it's just. I really think that there's a big threat to our republic right now. And, uh, and, and the, only, the, only way, the only way that this is going to be corrected is, is, is through grassroots action. Yeah.
1: You're right on, Brett. God bless you, my friend. We'll be right back.
0: The Mark Levin Show. Where the Reagan Coalition meets every day. Call now, 877-381-3811.
1: You know, I cannot stress enough that you must protect yourself from thugs who steal personal information. Email addresses, social security numbers, medical cards, passwords, and retailers are being compromised every single day. So look, you can't stay vulnerable. It's why I switched to my ID care, the absolute best in the business. My ID Care covers you for the nine types of identity theft, providing best-in-class service with tri-bureau credit monitoring and dark web monitoring. It's the kind of comprehensive protection you need right now. And then you can sign up at myidcare.com/slash/mark promo code mark myidcare.com/slash/mark promo code mark. Now, My ID Care has taken care of Fortune 500 companies for years. But just recently made their protection available to consumers. I switched in a heartbeat because their protection is stellar, and Tom Kelly, the CEO, is a genius at personal ID protection. Plans start for less than ten bucks a month, and only My ID Care offers a money-back recovery guarantee. Now I don't worry about identity theft anymore. And neither should you. And you, my listeners, you can get fifteen percent off at MyIDCare.com/slash/mark promo code Mark. Learn more. And then let MyIDCare take care of you. This is an essential service. MyIDCare.com slash Mark promo code Mark. MyIDCare.com slash Mark promo code Mark. You know, we keep the foot on the gas pedal around here, but we do like to have fun. And there's some very interesting people out there. And most of you know my friend John Highbush. He's the executive de- director of the Reagan Library and Foundation, which is a fantastic place to visit if you haven't gone there. Or if you have, you know what I'm talking about. It's quite an operation. It takes uh, quite a skilled gentleman like John to run it. And he's written – he's writing a series, if you will, of these thriller novels. And he is among the top thriller novelists in the country. Can you believe that? A conservative, a Reaganite. And his his most recent book that we talked about some time ago is The Second Coming. And it's received all kinds of accolades. And I wanted to have a little bit of fun here, you know, lower the temperature a little bit. John Highbush, how are you, sir?
4: I am just great. Nice to be with you, Mark. Thanks. So I'm blushing. So thank you.
1: Well, my friend, may I ask you a question, though? Yeah. And I, I, I don't know your answer. So this may be putting you on the spot. Sure. Will you still allow my listeners, if they order your book through the Reagan Library, will you still allow them, will you still sign them for them?
4: Absolutely. In fact, Mark, my hand's a little tired from signing books when uh, you were last so kind to have me on the show. I, there was so many people, Mark, in fact, that uh, that went on our website, um, reaganlibrary.com slash store, uh, to buy that it almost broke our system. And I'm afraid maybe a lot of people that wanted to buy the book uh, couldn't get through. So this time I've made sure that our systems are running well and so anybody who wants to pick it up, they can do it. And I want to just throw a little something out there, Mark. And uh, I really, uh, it's really important for me to do this, but anyone that uh Buys this book, The Second Coming, as a result of you and me talking here. I'm going to take every single dime I earn from those book orders and I'm going to turn around and buy a book, in fact, a lot of books. By your dad, Jack
1: Lozanoff. No, you don't need to do that. Uh,
4: my, uh, Mark, no. I'm going to do it. Every time. I really mean it, and I want to put it towards no. buying that book.
1: I don't want I you w- doing it. No, I, I, I mean love it. you, John. John and I are like brothers. I love yeah. you. I, I don't <laughs> want you to do that. I'd rather you keep it or give it to the Reagan Library. Deal? Oh, that's a deal, but I all right. Uh, well, Les, I, w- I want to talk about this. It's important. Yeah. So first of all, let's get the uh, process uh, uh, clear here, folks. If you go to com slash store, you can still get a signed copy from John Highbush. Now, as an author of seven New York Times bestsellers, I can tell you that people really cherish the signed copies. And when you can get a first edition signed copy from an author, particularly, quite frankly, a fiction writer of uh, of John's quality and so forth... And all you have to do is go to the website and do it. I want to strongly encourage you to do it. It's, I know it's mid-September, well, almost, and uh, the holidays are coming. This is the time to plan to get something like this and to have it ready so you can have it for the holidays or birthdays or just have it. So go to store. And I have a goal here. You know what it is, John? To shut down your system. I love to do that sort of thing. Let's shut down his system. Go to reaganlibrary.com. store. The book is The Second Coming. Give us a few more uh, tidbits about your book.
4: Well, you know, Mark, uh, as you and I have talked before, uh, you talk uh, on incredibly important uh, subjects every day on the show. And every once in a while, um, it's great to just kind of escape and read something that's yep. uh, kind of fun and fantastical. And that's what this book, The Second Coming, is all about. It's it's all about the famous Shroud of Turin. the burial cloth of Jesus Christ and for those that know anything about it you know that the image of Jesus appears on that cloth and so it's the most controversial religious relic ever known to mankind and these this book the second coming is it uses that sh- the shroud as the really the basis of the book and it's a thriller and it's a mystery it's a it's a fun reading just like you said it's number 1 on Amazon in its category right now so I I'm just so pleased in that it's doing well and um, and just really happy to talk to you about it, Mark.
1: So people get a feel for this. Your publisher says, when a fallen angel is mistakenly resurrected from the blood of an evil watcher taken from the Shroud of Turin, the fiend's first gift to the world is an unstoppable plague. And it goes from there. Where do you get these ideas from? <laughs>
4: <laughs> I don't know, a healthy imagination, Mark. I guess, but yeah, you know, in this day and age, you can uh, clone well, anything from a cat to a dog to a horse. And when we're getting, probably in our lifetimes, we're getting gonna gonna be at the point where people can clone uh, a human being somewhere, somehow, some way. And uh, this book is about well, what would happen if you tried to clone the savior based off of a little speck of DNA found on a piece on some blood from the Shroud of Turin. So uh, it's kind of part fiction, but also part fact, and uh, quite a story.
1: And it builds on your first book, correct?
4: It does. The first book was called The Shroud Conspiracy, and so it's the prequel if you if you if you really want to get into the series and enjoy it you know you'd you'd read the first book the Shroud Conspiracy first, and then you'd read the second coming uh the two tied together really well and they're they're like good bookends and i've I've had a few offers people want to make this into a movie, so I hope that happens someday,
1: which honestly makes a signed copy even more worthwhile so yeah. Mr. Producer, let us make sure we put reaganlibrary.com slash store on my social site. So it's very, very easy for my listeners to get there. Just click it, go there, and go for it. And uh, I want to encourage Levinites out there to jam the system and shut it down. So uh, And and make John have to sign with his other hand. Let me ask you about the Reagan Library uh, for people who haven't been there. Yeah. Do you know how many square feet are in that library?
4: Mark, it's about 260,000 square feet. It's uh, it's huge. You know, tell the story of Ronald Reagan. You need a lot of room. And uh, so in the library, we have uh, the famous Air Force One that President Reagan flew on for eight years. You can hop aboard the airplane and go from the front cabin all the way to the tail. You can see everything from the Bible that he took, put his hand on to take the oath of office to his diaries, his notes. I mean, it's its everything Ronald Reagan, and it's a shining city on a hill. The library sits right on a mountaintop overlooking the Pacific Ocean, so it's a beautiful place to be at.
1: And the president and the first lady are both buried there.
4: They are. They are. They're, they're buried there facing west. And, I, you know, Mark, as I look out right now, the sun is just uh, heading towards the mountains, that famous scene where the sun sets over the mountain that overlooks the president's grave site. It's an incredible sight.
1: And the president and Mrs. Reagan chose that site themselves, didn't they?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sits marked right between where their home was in L.A. and his ranch, his famous ranch in Santa Barbara. So it was, like Midway, a perfect stopping-off point uh, between the two.
1: Now, it's quite an operation. How many people... Are employees full time or part time? There, off the top of your head.
4: Uh, we've got about fifty full time employees, and then the four hundred volunteers. So these are just terrific people. Docents, you know, they volunteer their time and come up and work. You know, four hours a week to forty hours a week, and uh, they can show you around. We can provide guided tours, and you know, it's just uh, you could spend a whole day up here, Mark. That's how long it takes to really do it well.
1: You know, John, when I do my, my books, and when I do a book sign, I only pick three, four places, five tops. Yeah. And I always ask the Reagan Library, and you're always so generous and courteous to allow us to come there. It is by far my favorite location. You make a whole day of it. Uh, even your cafeteria is, is, is absolutely terrific there. And, uh, and if people go to the Reagan Library, you'll actually see a portrait of the president that was painted by my father that is right outside, it's outside what? The assembly room? What do you call that?
4: Yeah, it's the Reagan Auditorium, Mark, and as you go into the auditorium and uh, in the lobby there, just to your right, there's this great, great uh, portrait done by Jacqueline and your dad that is uh, President Reagan in, like, in cowboy gear, you know, with a cowboy hat, and it's just it's just a real piece of memorabilia. It's It's hung there for years, and it'll hang there as long as I work here, I'll tell you that.
1: Well, you're a generous man. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not suggesting you get this book because John and I are buddies. I'm suggesting to you that it is a great thriller. Uh, it's receiving uh, lots and lots of accolades, and for a good reason. I want to encourage you, again, go to com slash store. com slash store if you want your signed copy. You can go to amazon.com. You can go to Barnes & Noble. You can go anywhere, actually, and get it. But get the signed first edition. I'm telling you as an author, that's what you want to do. Yeah. John, God bless you, my friend. I appreciate it, as always, you're taking out a little bit of time out of your busy schedule.
4: Oh, thanks so much, Mark. Give my best to Julie and the whole family.
1: I will. And same there, my friend. Very, very decent human being. You know, folks, today I'm here to talk about Congress. No, not about the upcoming elections. Though those are obviously crucially important. No, I want to talk about Hillsdale's groundbreaking new online course. Congress, how it used to work and why it doesn't. And that title there sums up why you need to take this course. Hill, can you imagine you have a college that's offering you a free course, a college that believes in our founding principles? I mean, this is the rare exception, and they're offering all of this to you gratis. Hillsdale College teaches better than anyone anywhere the Constitution and how our government is supposed to work. And in this course, you'll learn exactly what Congress should be doing and what it shouldn't, how it got to the state it's in today, and how we can start to restore a more constitutional Congress. The course is free to you, my listeners, and when you pre-register, you'll reserve your place for when it launches on Constitution Day, which isn't long from now. <coughs> Excuse me. What's more, with this course, Hillstill is creating an entirely new online course experience that actually has to be experienced to be believed. Go to LevinForHillsdale.com right now to register. It's free. Don't delay. Reserve your spot today at LevinForHillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com.
2: Mark Levin.
1: Kamala Harris at the hearing yesterday, cut 17, go.
5: But I want to make clear what we're talking about. It means rights that are protected by the Constitution, even if they're not specifically mentioned in the Constitution. So they're not in that book that you carry.
1: Oh, they're not in that book you carry. He's carrying a pocket copy of the Constitution. So they're rights that protect, you see, that aren't in the Constitution. Well, let me ask you something. Do those rights apply to babies that haven't been born yet? No, 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 that's a choice. No, no. And this is my frustration. There never really is an honest debate about this issue of abortion. This appears to be one of the central issues for the Democrat Party. Unrestrained, uninhibited abortions. And as a country, we've never had a debate on this. States came down in different ways on this issue, but the court ruled in Roe v. Wade, that abortion is the law of the land and then you had subsequent decision that in the Casey case, it's, a, well, of course, there can be some restrictions as long as it doesn't interfere and so forth and so on. So the moral debate over this issue has never been had. People march, people demand, people paint signs. The greatest deliberative body in the country when you have a Supreme Court justice, if this issue is going to keep coming up, it needs to be engaged. The Democrats cannot just turn this into a woman's right privacy issue. There's a lot of women who disagree with that position. Anyway, I thought I would mention that because I think it's very, very important. It's Friday. We play America. We don't take any knees. Again, Sunday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox. John Voigt and me. You're going to love this interview. Don't miss it. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, the Border Patrol, ICE. Thank you all. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffy. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. And a special salute tonight to Adele. God bless you all. See you Monday.